You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, I am feeling mighty blessed this morning. Um, God has just been so good in coming and meeting with us um, like he has this morning, but also because everything has just, even from the prayer meeting this morning, um, right down to what's been shared, has just all been about faith. And guess what I want to speak to you about this morning? Fantastic. So um, I was away last week um, visiting my sister in Yorkshire, and um, so I, I was really into this message before. And then you start to worry, well, maybe that was a message for a couple of weeks ago, but is it the message for now? Um, and I've just been so, so blessed. Um, a few weeks ago, I spoke on the shield of faith. And I don't know about any of you, but I was just blown away by the shield of faith. And I just loved the locking swords that the soldiers all locked swords. And it made me so grateful to be part of Riverview and to know that together we lock swords and we see God move. And I know, you know, we're coming out of lockdown. Um, last week I was at Salvation Army with my sister, who was actually doing the whole service. First time I've heard her speak, so um, that was quite, that was good. Um, but, you know, one thing that was really good there was we didn't have to wear masks to sing. I would have been preferred to have sung as we sing, but it was still really good not to have to um, wear a mask. But you know, as I came this morning and thought, yeah, I don't like it, don't like having to wear the mask. But you know what? God was in our worship this morning, whether we had masks on or whatever. Um, He's just been so, so good to us. And, and he's taking us on, and we're getting there, aren't we? So let's look at faith. And when I started to um, think about faith and look at uh, faith, um, thinking about that shield of faith, um, I went quite naturally to one of my favorite characters in scripture, who is Joshua. I love Joshua. Um, he's one of these people that you read about in Scripture and immediately you know what a man of stature he was. There's no lead into it. He is just the man. And that was really good because he really, really trusted God, even when there was doubt everywhere. And when I've read that before about Joshua, it's made me really consider how I believe. Um, and it's not always quite like that. I quite often think, oh gosh, where is God in this? Um, And yet, you know, look what God said to us this morning. It's been so, so good. But Joshua was a man who just believed God. Remember the chorus from um, Sunday school? Well, those of us are a lot older probably will remember this. Remember, 12 men went to spy in Canaan. 10 were bad, two were good. (laughs) Thanks, Eddie. Oh, yes. Um, it goes on, two were good, 10 were bad, two were good, and on it goes. And Joshua, of course, was one of the two who saw the grapes and clusters fall and who saw that God was in it all. And so this morning, I want to bring just a short message on this great man. And as he's looking at God's great challenge of bringing the children of Israel into the promised land, 
Now, he came in with a bang, all right. First of all, he replaces Moses as the leader. Because we know um, it was unbelief and rebellion meant that every person who had left Egypt, if they were over 20 years of age, they died without actually reaching the promised land, the, God, the, the land that God had prepared for them all, all except Joshua and the other good spy, Caleb. So Moses dies and Joshua becomes the leader challenged straight away to cross the flooded Jordan River and take the people into Canaan. We didn't do anything like that to you when you came to Bonus. True. You know, they're, they're, they're all there. I love the fact that they're in the desert of Paran. You might know someone's house is called El Paran. And they're ready to go, just waiting. And I love I named my house deliberately as God's preparation ground, the desert where the children of Israel were willing to take the step to get themselves into the promised land. And the miracles begin immediately for Joshua. In Joshua chapter 3, we read the Jordan River opens up before them in much the same way as the Red Sea opened up for Moses, so that the people were able to walk through dry-footed, to the other side. So surely that confirmed Joshua's authority under God, both to him himself and to the people. But we're going to go to and join this story as another great miracle is needed, which will surely test Joshua as a man of faith. And I want us to read it together. It's going to come up on screen. Thank you so much to um, Susan. <laughs> Susan. Yep, so we're going to um, Joshua chapter 6. And there, it's quite a, a, long, a long reading, but I'm going to read it all. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one went, sorry, no one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Make seven priests carry trumpets of ram's, um, sorry, ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, make all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and people will go in, every man straight in. Wow. Imagine God saying that to you, Tom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Joshua, son of man, called the priests and he said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and make seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had sp spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, should have got you to do sound effects, David, sorry. <laughs> Just thinking that as I'm going here. 
But Joshua commanded the people, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. And so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got, got up early the next morning and the priests took the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the tr ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp and they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest shout sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it will be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house will be spared because she had the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so every man charged straight in, and they took the city. It's some story of victory, isn't it? And you know, it only happened because of faith. They believed God and did what he told them to do. Faith brought those walls down, faith in a God who can do the impossible. We've just finished the series on Church Forward. We looked at the wiles of the enemy and at the armour provided for us so that we can take our stand against the enemy. We know the Christian's warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual world. Satan and his demonic forces will use people to oppose and attack the church. And it's good to remember that. He's using people. But when we put on the armor of God and take our stand, he cannot touch us because God has already won the war. Hallelujah. Some battles have still got to be fought, but ultimately we are on the winning side. We just have to have the faith to believe it, whether we're the strongest or the weakest Christian, whatever we think of ourselves, everything is down to faith in a God who is faithful to the end. So how does Joshua stand up to this test of faith? Jericho. Well, let's look at that and see how it relates to our faith journey. And I want to do it, of course, under three headings. Um, the first is the opportunity for faith. That comes in verses 1 and 2. The second is the obedience of faith in verses 3 to 14. And the third is the power of faith, verses 15 to 20. So number one, the opportunity of faith. You know, Jericho was this massive fortress, but it stood in the way of a, a conquest of the whole land of Canaan. 
Canaan was divided up among a number of city-states, each ruled by a king. In our terms today, these cities weren't very big at all. Excavations of Jericho show a city covering around eight acres, protected by two high parallel walls standing 15 feet apart and surrounding the city. That's what Jericho looked like, 15 feet high, eh, sorry, very, very high, two, two high parallel walls, so standing 15 feet apart, surrounding the whole city, very, very high, sorry, I'm not sure exactly how high, but um, really high walls. When the spies, all those years before, had gone into the land of Canaan, went to see what it looked like, it was cities like Jericho which convinced the ten that there was no way the people of Israel could take the land. The soldiers guarding their city were mighty men of valour. They're described as giants. Humanly speaking, it was an extremely difficult task that faced Joshua. Almost impossible. What, what could they do? Well, maybe they could find some way to scale the walls. Well, how do you do that when there's actually two walls and a chasm of 15 feet between it? Maybe they could beat down the gates. Well, that's pretty unlikely, isn't it? Tunnel underneath the, the, the walls at night. How long would that take them to do it? Well, maybe another 40 years. Humanly speaking, Jericho was shut up tight. Nothing was going in and nothing was coming out. So the only option there was, was faith. Not blind faith, but faith in a God who delights to do the impossible. Joshua knew he fought from victory, not just for victory. You fight from victory, not just for victory. The Christian soldier stands in a position of guaranteed victory. If we can get that into our heads, if I can get that into my head, then everything else will be so much easier because we'll know that Jesus Christ has already defeated every spiritual enemy and he it is that's fighting with us. Jesus himself spoke in John 12 and 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Hallelujah. Jesus defeated Satan, not only in the wilderness. You know, remember the story, he was taken out into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days and, and Satan came and tried to tempt him. And of course he didn't, he didn't bow to that. But you know, he also defeated Satan throughout his earthly ministry. You can read it in, in, in Matthew 12. He defeated him on the cross. Look at Colossians 2. And he defeated him in his resurrection and ascension. He defeated him for all time. Jesus has won a forever battle. And know what? He continues to intercede for us when we're fighting our battles. He intercedes for us before the throne of God. And he does that so that we can grow and mature in our faith and we can accomplish all that he has planned for us to do. We feel pretty weak sometimes, but he is interceding so that we will be strong. We just need faith to grasp hold of Romans 8 and 31. If God is for us, who can be against a defeated foe? What's that? If God's for us, who can be against? Jericho stood in the way, but you know, 
as they must have looked at Jericho and thought, how difficult is this? Inside Jericho, its inhabitants had heard of Israel's exodus from Egypt. They knew about the recent victories that they'd had east of the Jordan, and the people were in a blind panic. That's why no one was going in or going out. Rahab told the spies that a few days before in, in Joshua 2. I know that the Lord has given this land to you, she said, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, when, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She got it. She knew what was happening. This was God fulfilling what he told Moses in Exodus 23 and verse 27. He said, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make your enemies turn their backs and run. Wow, what a God. And you know what? This is our God, the same God, and he's for us. We have nothing to fear, nothing to make us shy away from what God has told us to do. Do you know, it was said that Mary Queen of Scots feared John Knox more than any enemy army. Oh, that the church would be that powerful entity again and stand up boldly against the forces of evil. Joshua could stand up because he'd had an encounter with the living God. He'd walked through the Red Sea. He'd eaten the manna and the quail. He'd seen the, the, the cloud and the pillar of fire. He knew that God was a miracle worker. And you know what? He'd had his own faith builder experience, not only in the case of crossing the Jordan River while it was in flood, but also now in Joshua chapter five. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him, brave guy, and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does the Lord my God have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. God's promise made the victory sure. All Joshua and the people had to do was to claim the promise and obey what God had told them to do. And he calls us to do exactly the same. We have opportunity for faith today in the same way as Joshua and the children of Israel had as they looked at Jericho. The second is that there's an obedience of faith. It was a really strange battle plan that was given to Joshua. Francis A. Schaeffer put it this way, Joshua did not take the city merely by a clever human military tactic. The strategy was the Lord's. 
In this case, as we see what happened, we know it could only have been the Lord. It was nuts, absolutely crazy. And in human terms, nonsense. But there, was, there is no situation too hard for the Lord to handle. And there's no problem too much for him to solve. We need to hear that. When we're going through the difficult things, there is no situation too great for the Lord to handle and no problem too hard or too much for him to solve. Joshua knew the power and might of his God. So when he received his orders from the Lord, he did exactly what he was told to do because he knew it meant certain success. No matter how ridiculous it seemed to everybody else, um, he knew he, if he did what God said, it would work. So, compass the city once a day for six days. The seventh day, compass the city seven times. When the priests blow their horns, the people are to shout. Imagine being there. Think of the faith that's needed for a plan like that. But God's plan, foolish as it seemed, impossible as it seemed, worked exactly as God had said. His wisdom is way, way beyond ours, and he delights in using people and plans that seem foolish to the world, because then it can only be God. He'll use us, foolish to the world, because then it can only be God. We can't take any credit for it. Whatever he does for us, we're not going to take the credit. It's, it's God that will take the credit because it could only have been him. So whether it's Joshua with his trumpets and shouts or Gideon with his pictures and his torches or David with his sling and pebbles, God delights in using weakness and seemingly foolishness to defeat his enemies and glorify his name. Joshua and the Israelites believed God and did exactly as they were told. All of God's blessings come by faith. The greatest, of course, is salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Selwyn Hughes has a, a great explanation of what happens. He says, At conversion, first of all, the Holy Spirit unfolds to the mind the reality of the gospel. Once this is understood, the individual reaches out by faith to take hold of Christ and is saved. Conversion is a combination of the human and the divine. It's both receptivity and activity. You do it and he does it. Your personality is not stifled because you believe, but he is still the one who saves. If you've never done that before, if you've never given your life to Jesus, give it some thought now and come to him. He will always answer when you call out to him in faith. Faith brings answers to prayers. So many in here can testify of God's answers to prayers in the big things and in the very small things too. But you know, faith requires obedience. The healing of Naaman the leper happened because eventually he did what Elijah had told him to do, dip seven times in the Jordan River. 
Well, those of you who came out to visit us in Israel and those that have been in Israel know what the Jordan River looks like. So yes, it probably was a big ask of someone who wasn't believing. But you know, if he hadn't done that, if he hadn't done it in the, the Jordan River, his leprosy would have remained. The miracle could only be seen when he obeyed and did what God had told him to do. Think about the very first miracle Jesus performed. You know, turning the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Do you know if the bride's father, the host of the celebration, hadn't ordered his servants to fill up the pots with water? Or if his servants had thought, oh, they're heavy pots, we'll just put in a little trickle because I don't really want to carry these heavy pots. Nothing would have happened. Absolutely nothing because of disobedience, because of lack of faith. But they did exactly what they were told to do. And we saw the first miracle take place. Today, you can still go and buy wedding wine in Cana. Yep, but for that matter, you can go to Jerusalem and buy the widow's might. So have a think about that. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. It's taking God at his word and doing exactly as God directs. Joshua first shared the Lord's plan with the priests. It was important that the Ark of the Lord was in its proper place. When Israel crossed the Jordan River, the account mentions the Ark 16 times. That's about God being with them. That's in Joshua uh, chapters 3 and 4. Here in chapter 6, the Ark is mentioned eight times. Israel and the priests could have marched around with their trumpets blaring until all of them dropped from sheer exhaustion. If the Lord wasn't with them, there would have been no victory. When we accept God's plan, we invite God's presence, and that guarantees victory. That's Warren Wearsby that says that. Joshua tells the priests, and then he instructs the soldiers it's unlikely that he took all his soldiers as the census of number 16 says that there were 600,000 soldiers and Jericho just wasn't that big. They would have been tripping over each other if they had done that. But the likelihood was that all of Israel, all two million of them, would have been there watching at a distance and they would be shouting when the order came to shout. It was a victory for Israel and Israel's God. You know, it's really, really important that as leaders we receive our orders from the Lord. And you know, it's really, really important that as a people we follow those instructions. So as with the crossing of the Jordan River, so also the conquest of Jericho was a miracle of faith. Joshua and the Israelites listened to God's orders, believed them, and obeyed them, and God did the rest. I wonder how the people inside reacted to the daily procession around the city. I would think that on day one, they were pretty terrified, thinking the siege was about to happen. But then no ramps were built, no tunnels begun, no gates rammed. They must have felt relief as the invaders just silently left and went back to their camp. But then it happened again and again and again and again and again. 
And again, and tension must have grown as the people wondered what was going on, what's going to happen next. They knew the God of Israel was a God of wonders, whose power had defeated Egypt and the kings east of the Jordan. What was he going to do to them now? And when the seventh day came, it was different. The tension inside the city must have gone up to frightening proportions. Then there was the blast of the trumpets and the victory shout of the people, and the walls simply fell flat. It's really important that word fell flat, so the soldiers could just rush into the city and take over. They weren't clambering over rocks that where some of the wall had fallen down and others hadn't. The walls fell flat. The world doesn't understand obeying in faith, but the Holy Spirit directed the writer of the Hebrews to use this event as one of the by faith examples in Hebrews 11, the great faith chapter in our Bibles. The fall of Jericho was an encounter, an encouragement to God's people to trust the Lord's promises and obey his instructions, no matter how impossible the situation might appear to be. You and I might never capture a city as Joshua did, but in our everyday lives, we face enemies and high walls that challenge us greatly. We don't always share them, so others might not always know, but you know what they are. And sometimes they worry us, take sleep from us, concern us. The only way to grow in faith is to accept these challenges and the others that will inevitably come, sorry, and trust God that he's going to give you victory. He's going to do it his way. We've just heard that in testimony. Thank you, Eddie. Philip Brooks said, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be better men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers, but for power equal to your tasks. Which takes me on nicely to my third point, the overcoming power of faith. The seventh day was the day of victory. They marched around the city seven times and the last time the noise was deafening as the priests blew their trumpets and the people shouted and the great wide high walls fell flat. Always know the victory always comes in God's time and in his way. We've just prayed that in the prayer meeting this morning. We're looking for God doing what he wants to do in his time and in his way. He loves to be involved in situations that are deemed impossible because then there is no doubt who is responsible for the victory achieved and the glory has to be his. There's so much to be learned from this event in history but above all it's about faith and obedience and a God who can do the impossible. So what's your greatest obstacle? Well, start to expect to overcome through the power of Christ. Do you know he won a forever victory at the cross? Look at the empty tomb. He is risen, he's ascended, he's glorified, he's interceding constantly for you. You can trust him to bring you the victory in his timing and in his way when you have faith to believe. So let's really believe him, people of God. 